0: You're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com.
1: Now, here's the OTI guys. Hello and welcome back to the OTI Podcast. Myself, Colin Kelly, bringing you yet another show. We're up over 200 episodes at this point in time, and uh, the last couple of weeks has been a lot of fun with the new co-host aboard. It's Doug Moore. How's it going, Doug? Doing well, doing well.
2: Another week, no football, so I'm hanging in there.
1: Yeah, well, uh, hopefully the Cavaliers fans haven't been coming at you too hard this week after uh, we got through uh, that last week. But uh.
2: Yeah, no, they still they still are. They didn't like a couple of my LeBron tweets from last night. So,
1: <laughs> And uh, we're delighted to also be joined on today's show by a guy I had on just prior to the end of the season. It is Rumford Johnny. A lot of you will know him on Twitter. Kind of one of the... One of the great guys in the uh, fantasy football realm, kind of one of the elder statesmen. I've heard him talked about on a number <laughs> of different podcasts. But, uh, Romy, uh, glad to have you back aboard the show.
0: That just means I'm old, man. It's nice to be here with you guys, uh, elder <laughs> statesman. I'll, I'll take that title anytime,
1: man. We'll say uh, we'll call you the middle-aged statesman. Maybe if that makes you feel a little bit you, better. But you can call
0: me. You can call me the Gandalf the Wizard. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> the wise, that's fine, the wise man. Uh, that's it, man. That's cool.
1: Uh, Romy, obviously you've had a couple of tweets over the past week and it's been lined up that this is one of your last podcasts for a while. Just for the people listening in, uh, what's going to be happening with you from this point forward? We'll get it out of the way at the start of the show rather than wait to uh, the end of the show.
0: Oh, No problem. I'm going to be working with uh, Denny Carter's uh, draft day consultants. Basically, I'm a gun for hire to help you with your fantasy draft. <laughs> Uh, you know, which is exactly what it means. We, we consult with people before, and during, and after their fantasy drafts. If they're new to certain, uh, you know, types of drafts like dynasty drafts, we help them out. Kind of help them with the ins and outs. Use our experience to kind of get them uh, a little bit of an edge to start out. And uh, also be participating in the Pros versus Joe's uh, Best Ball tournament, which is really really cool. It's an uh, FFPC tournament, which essentially a bunch of people in the industry face off against people that are sort of, you know, just regular Joes essentially. Uh, and, and that, the people that win in that tournament go on to get a spot in the, uh, you know, the FFPC, uh, tournament, which is, which is really neat because it's like a $1,750, uh, you know, buy-in, which is pretty mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. <laughs> so you're cheap. playing, for, you, no, so you're playing for big bucks and, and it's, it's pretty neat. So I'll be doing that. So you, so somebody out there on the Internet will get to face off against me, which will be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much it. I'll be focused on MFL 10s up until July and, and August, and then I'll be going full in on DFS, you know, really trying For to uh, get that summer home in, in you know, Barcelona <laughs> and stuff like you know, yeah, that. Yeah,
1: travel around the world. So,
0: exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that, I'll be doing that. But I'm, I'm, I'll am i be back again and during the regular season to kind of, you know, pay visits to you guys and, and other podcasts too so but definitely we'll be kind of just taking the summer off to to get my head straight so
1: yeah and we'll be plugging draft day consultants later on in the show again but uh definitely A lot of the guys over there, I know Matt Harmon and all is involved as well. Some great guys there Mm -hmm. for anyone out looking for some uh, draft day help. Uh, For people listening to the show, a few times over the last few weeks I've given a little bit of behind-the-scenes information on technical issues we've had. Let's just hope this all comes out and uh, goes in the can because uh, sometimes before we start these shows with Skype and uh, so on with the technical issues, uh, it can be a lot of fun. But I hope it all uh, comes out good in the end and you enjoy listening to this show. We'll get into the NFL news and probably the biggest piece of news uh, over the last... uh, kind of six or seven hours it has been used over the last week is brashad perryman and his knee injury uh, obviously the acl the concern there but it looks like he has avoided uh season ending uh surgery and he's going to get a stem cell injection that should help that acl record on its own still with that uh you know the hope that he will be available for the season are, are either of you guys and i'll let rummy go first um stocking up on uh any shares of him ahead of the season. He's a player that I've been concerned about since he uh, came into the league, and now I still would have uh, huge concerns with uh, you know his health going forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't think that, that Perryman was somebody that was uh, that high on my list of yeah. that rookie class. Uh, he was obviously a little unpolished. He had a great pedigree. His dad played in the NFL. I know a lot of people in the industry were, were pretty high on him. I was not. And, of course, like Kevin White last year, he missed a significant amount of time due to injury. Yep. And this year, it's sort of compiled like injuries. Now, the last several hours, as you talked about, um, you know, we're hearing all different stories. People saying that he didn't need surgery, but he had stem cell injections. And then we're hearing other people uh, like, you know, uh, you know, I was trying to think, uh, injury expert uh, yep. on Twitter uh, Will Carroll was talking about his type of injury is something that, that, that I would still be concerned about and that it could be, you know, could exacerbate if he plays. It's something that's probably still something that could could use surgery. So we're getting a lot of mixed signals, and I just want to invest in him. In, in NFL 10s, I haven't touched him at all, and that's just because I didn't really believe in him beforehand, and now with all the different injuries, I just, his value isn't there, and I think he's you know sort of been up and down in terms of where he is. In your regular, you know, redraft or, or dynasty leagues, I mean, I'd wait to hear more steady good news before you do anything with him, but I'd still be looking to move him because I get concerned about players that sort of have that Greg Odin to make a yeah. leap to the NBA, if you will, sort of tag on them, the guys that like have uh, that, that injury bug that you just kind of worry about is going to become more aggressive as he plays or if he gets rushed back. I always want to try to unload those guys when the positive feedback is really high because I, if I don't believe in them in the first place, there's no reason why I should really be hanging on to them.
1: Doug, anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, so I'm actually looking up right now. He actually stayed consistently healthy in college, three years at Central Florida, 14, 12, and 13 games in his three years. So this is something pretty new um, with just his, his inability to stay healthy. Obviously, he had the, uh, the MCL injury last year. and Now he has a... Um, it, it, again, like like Johnny said, a lot of differing reports of what's actually going on. It sounds like it's something to do with his ACL, or just something we know for for certain is something with his knee. Mm-hmm. And he had arthroscopic surgery, which by itself is going to keep you out for a couple weeks. By th- anyway, yeah. but yeah, no, I, I I'm not buying into anything right now because um, you know he hasn't played a single down in the regular season um, last season. Who knows about this season? I'm not putting much stock into him. And uh, anybody who did um you know like just like Johnny said, wait for some good news and then try to trade him because it sounds like this guy's just going to be a uh, a handful to deal with if he if he ever does uh, get on the field consistently
1: yeah he's one of those players. I had only one stock of him in Dynasty last year, and once it looked like uh, you know at one point in the season that he was going to get back on the field, I just sold him because he was a player at the draft i didn't want to acquire, but just at the time that he was on the board, it was really the uh, the best player available at that particular spot but he is as well. You know, you talk about Kevin White last year missing those, you know, the, the snaps you get as a rookie and as a second-year player is so important, you know, just to learn the game, and you're missing that valuable time. So we'll see what happens with Perryman, but he's not somebody that I'll be looking at at all, uh, even with this, uh, if you want to call it positive or slightly positive news, at least at this point, he's not going to miss the season. He's not somebody that I'm looking to acquire for the 2016 season. Uh, next up, just as we finish, basically last week, Nick, we had word, of uh, Austin Safarian Jenkins and I know everyone was very confused uh, You know what was going on in the situation on the training field and I've seen a couple of tweets that you had, Johnny, about it and uh, since it's kind of... maybe it was blown a little bit out of proportion but he's a player that, as a as a tight end there's a lot of roles and responsibilities on the field, whether it's blocking, whether it's your right running and uh, Dirk Cutter came out this week and said that the reason that he was kicked off the, the field basically was that he didn't really know what he was meant to do uh, It would be a major concern for me that a, a player who is in the league now, going in, I think it's his third year, and he was in this scheme last year, although he missed time, doesn't really know the playbook. Uh, Talked that Cameron Braid could possibly push him in that position. Do you think that uh, this might be a real signal and turning point for ASJ that he needs to really uh, come forth and put in the right effort? Uh, or do you think that you know, there's major, major concerns there going forward, Romy?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, when I get burned by a player like this, and, and there are were, there were pre-draft signals about him that, indicated that he wasn't all there and that he wasn't the guy that put in a lot of effort and he had some consistency issues in college uh, with with being you know in shape and all these other things and, and again being late to, to practices and meetings this was the knock on him he was a massive talent but also sort of a, you know kind of a head case at times so when some of this shows it's some of this shows it's sort of ugly head at this point in his career you know it's hard to really feel great about him. No. Um, and and they do love Cameron Bray, apparently in that offense. And I'm a much bigger Mike Evans fans than most people are, so I'm I'm really high on Evans. I just don't want any piece of of him. And and if if you have him in dynasty, again, wait to see some of that value recouped. Wait to some of the good vibes come back. And I would be moving him. I just I don't feel great about him. I know a lot of people were excited about his role maybe expanding this year, and and you know with with Jameis with a year under his belt getting better that asj would probably have a nice role as a you know uh uh, developing tight end but i i just i just have a hard time believing in him especially when at this point you know he's getting sort of rookie attention when he's no longer a rookie from the head coach that's 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 a really bad sign to me
2: uh yeah so just just to add a few points the one thing i think about here is if he doesn't understand the playbook it's a concern for me because Dirk Cutter who's now the head coach was the offensive coordinator last year so yeah. this isn't this isn't a whole new system necessarily obviously they brought in another offensive coordinator but I would think that there's still relatively going to be the same sort of playbook so it's concerning that he still doesn't understand it um, I believe actually he was kicked off the team at Washington um, I think he got into an issue with the coach um, so there was definitely concerns like Rummy said, Huge talent, but he was drafted in the second round, I think, because he had some character concerns. Um, You know, after we saw him week one last year, I think he went for over 100 yards and, and two touchdowns. Things were really looking up for him. And then he had that shoulder injury that we never quite found out what exactly it was. Um But, yeah, there's just there, – I'm not sure what there is to look forward to right now, especially if they're they're getting high on a guy like Cameron Brait. Um and if you didn't know, he went to Harvard, in case you weren't sure about that, <laughs> um, in case you hadn't been informed yet. So it, it's just interesting to see in general um, just how quickly he's downspiraling, uh, despite being such a, a great talent and a young guy. But um, yeah, again, like Perryman, I don't want any t- any piece of him right now while you know, we just don't know what's going on.
1: Yeah, he's one of those players that I think if this hadn't happened and he had started to develop into the preseason, I think there would have been a lot of hype behind him going into the season. There was talk of him... Say a month or two ago, but be possibly kind of that Tyler Eifert player this year who comes and makes the big leap forward. But as both of you said, uh, I would have major concerns heading into the season. And Romy pointed out too, if you're in a dynasty league, uh, have shares of him. Wait to see if he can turn this around. Maybe get into the preseason, catch a couple of uh, nice catches, and then try and uh, move him on. Then, but it's uh, definitely a worrying uh, time there. The other news coming out, uh, coming out of the Cowboys in the last couple of hours is with uh, Darren McFadden, run DMC. He actually underwent elbow surgery uh, this past couple of days, and uh, it happened apparently while he tried to stop his phone from uh, falling onto the ground, and he happened to fall <laughs> and uh, hurt his elbow. I've dropped my phone on the ground a number of times. Sometimes I catch it, sometimes I don't. I've never continued to fall. Something. Uh, it was Memorial Weekend. Maybe there was a couple of you know alcoholic beverages in the system. I don't know, but unfortunately for him, uh, and uh, he has been on probably the best run of his career in terms of uh, games played over the last couple of seasons. He's been. Very, very uh, consistent in that way. He's played 32 straight regular games over the past two seasons, so he's uh, missing out, and I know Doug uh, is massively high on uh, what can happen with Ezekiel Elliott this season, so Darren McFadden, who had, and we did talk about this last week, it's kind of turned into the Cowboys Backfield podcast over the last couple of weeks, but uh, Darren McFadden and his injury, what do you think this does uh, heading into the season, uh, Rummy?
0: Well, it's a good thing and a bad thing for Ezekiel Elliott. For, for the bad thing for Ezekiel Elliott, keeps pushing his ADP up in drafts because can go above when something number like, one?
1: can your ADP go above number one? No, no,
0: no. Well, in dynasty, <laughs> yeah, dynasty, yeah. No. Well, okay, okay. dynasty, no. Well, rookie dynasty, no. But you know, I mean, in in regular drafts or even in NFL tens, yeah. you know, he's getting he's already being pushed up quite a bit because of his role. Now, this kind of takes the guy that would be maybe cutting into like six carries a game, probably out of the question. Now. Uh, so, you know, it, it, does, it does help his ADP and probably artificially inflates him a little bit more. I like Elliot. I think he's, he's got an awesome you know, situation. The role is, is perfect for him. Uh, he's, a, he's a great player. I think he's going to be as delivered as, as, as people expect him to be. But again, stuff like this that happens just sort of artificially inflates the, the ADP of players. And I kind of tend to back off a little bit when that happens. I uh, have some shares of him and MFL tens and, and Dynasty, but you know I'm, I'm you know not going to be going crazy and overbuying and or overpaying in Dynasty because people uh, of the situation when when the peripheral guys who they didn't really believe in anyway. He's an old he's, he's an aging player who's had injury problems and, and you know they wanted to draft this guy uh, number four overall over a cornerback because they felt like they wanted the glory days of the old Cowboys like Emmitt Smith and run the football, you know, this is how much they believe in him. It's not like they were going to just come in and give him 15 carries a game. He's going to be a workhorse. Yeah. And and there was no doubt that he was going to be the workhorse. So nothing's really changed, but the perception may have changed to the public. So maybe you can capitalize on some of that.
1: Yeah, and Doug, I know your kind of feelings obviously already on uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Somebody, though, just looking from a, a more kind of down-the-radar perspective. You mentioned ADP of Elliott going up. Somebody whose ADP is probably, you know, very, very close to the end of the draft. And I didn't think he was going to get much of a shot uh, at the Cowboys. But now with this injury, Alfred Morris, who came over from the Redskins in free agency, possibly, you know, gives him a little chance to, to make an impact there when uh, he'll get some extra snaps over uh, when Darren McFadden's out injured. All they've said at the moment is that it's going to be a couple of months. They haven't really put a time frame on it. Jason Garrett said that he didn't want to put a time frame on it, in fact, so... How long it is remains uh, open and then elbow injury for a running back can be one of those that can kind of linger on. Do you think uh, there's any movement in what you'd be looking for for Alfred Morris, say, even in redraft this upcoming season, uh, taking him maybe, I would say, be going 13th, 14th round at this point?
2: Yeah, so I'm not so sure because I think that the the role that Elliott was going to take was definitely that that two-down role. Uh, for sure. He's obviously, I think he was the best runner in the class and there was no doubt he was the best running back in it. Yeah. I think that the only thing that was up for debate was whether he was going to consistently stay on third down. He's got, he's, he's still a, a pretty good pass protector, but the one thing that McFadden did last year, he caught the ball pretty yeah. well. I believe, he, I believe he had like 40 receptions last year. Yeah. Um, and he start. he only started, uh, you know, as the starting running back for them after, I think it was week seven. So that was the one thing they relied on. The thing with Alfred Morris is he can't offer much in pass protection or in the receiving game. So I'm not so sure. I think, if anything, I'm concerned that they're going to try and push back Lance Dunbar. We can't forget about him. He was off to a torrid start until he tore his ACL last year. But, yeah, I think that was the one thing that, if anything, Darren McFadden had going for him is that he had uh, ability to play on third down, at least in the receiving game. So, if anything, I don't know how much this helps – Morris, besides move him up to number two, yeah. I don't think he was any danger of losing his spot. Um, he was just signed this offseason. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not so sure because I don't think that they were going to take him off. The Cowboys taking Elliott off of uh, you know, the first two downs that much anyway. It was more so third down than anything, which uh, McBadden could do, but Morris can't. So I don't see it changing that much for Morris. You might see a couple more uh, reps in practice for someone like Darius Jackson, who... Um, is, was their number four guy, now Is their de facto number three while McFadden's out, so uh, but no, I don't see much different for, for Morris, I don't think his role increases or or anything like that, even if this extends into the regular season.
1: Yeah, I have to agree with what you said, Doug, I was kind of more playing devil's advocate than anything, just to get a different opinion from you, but uh, you mentioned there as well Lance Dunbar, I think, you know, the, there's not much optimism around the Cowboys, of him actually having a huge impact this season, because the knee injury he had was quite severe, he did have uh, quite a significant role in the passing game last season, we'll see if he can make it onto the field in 2016. Anything you'd like to add, Romy, to uh, those points Doug made? Nope. Excellent points by Doug. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, just a couple other pieces of news to uh, wrap up that. We'll not do any discussion on them, but the Denver Broncos have signed uh, linebacker Brandon Marshall to a four-year deal, $32 million overall, with a $10 signing bonus, so that keeps him there. Uh, Von Miller is probably going to be... Uh, happening in the next few weeks. I'd imagine uh, they don't want to let that one linger too much longer. And uh, with the Broncos uh, word this uh, last couple of days of Emmanuel Sanders possibly getting extended there as well. Another uh, defensive side of the ball player, and that is uh, Fletcher Cox of the Philadelphia Eagles. He got a six-year extension, monster money in this one, $103 million, uh, over the course of that contract, $63 million guaranteed, and he gets a whopping $26 million <laughs> sign-in bonus. Uh, guys, what would you do with uh, a twenty-six million dollars signing bonus right now? Is that what you're hoping to win this uh, this year in uh, fantasy football, Rummy? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: That's exactly what I'm going to make this year. Yeah, you're going to set. <laughs> I think
1: I think you would settle for half of that uh, if you were starting off. Yeah,
0: right yeah, more, I would settle for a, a quarter, a tenth of that.
1: To be honest with <laughs> you. Yeah, no, d- definitely. Uh, moving on now to some of the topics we have for the show. We have uh, David Johnson, obviously had a great finish of the season last year with the uh, Arizona Cardinals this is something Doug wanted to talk about in the last couple of shows but there was a report last week and uh, we didn't get to it on our topics And it was that he's su- supposedly going to see 60% off the touches in Arizona this year. Do you think he will be uh, the workhorse there in 2016 any concerns about uh, CJ 2K coming back uh, being re-signed for another season and your thoughts uh, on David Johnson for the, the 2016 and uh, for Dynasty purpose beyond that uh, Rummy?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, he, I majority of, of the touches can, makes you basically a workhorse, really, in yeah. today's NFL anyway. Yeah. So sixty percent would make him the workhorse, yeah. uh, and, and that's that's fine. I mean, I'd imagine that that's what he's probably going to see anyway. Um, you know, they it was one of those things where Bruce Arian was just sort of being a little intrepid about about giving him too much too soon. And I think now he realizes that he's the guy and that he's going to feed him. I don't buy into all the other crap. I think that's just sort of a way for the a head coach to, to really light a spark under everybody's rear end and, and get all the other running backs going. Because, I mean, that's he wants a good balanced offense, and those other guys will have roles. But I think Johnson still will be the lead guy, and I don't think there's any really ar- any argument to say that the other guys will be uh, taking a big chunk of those that work.
1: Yeah, usually when coaches talk around this time of the year, I try to pay little to no attention to whatever they say because most of it's smoke screens. But Arians, in the last couple of years, he's been pretty reliable with the information he's put out. But, Doug, I know this is something that you really wanted to talk about, so uh, I'll let you go and uh, start talking about it.
2: Yeah, so just I did a little bit of math while we were talking here. So last year, the Cardinals had, um, they had 400, I uh, just want to get that exact number 452 uh, rushing attempts. And they had about 50 or so – I want to say it was about 56 or so receptions uh, between all the running backs. So I, I, I took that up. It was about uh, a little over 500 touches for a running back, including receptions. That's still 309 uh, divided by – times it by 60%. That's 309 touches. That's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so I'm not at all concerned about it. Um, but, you know, I, I think people are also forgetting um, – yes, I think Chris Johnson will still have a role – Who knows about Andre Ellington? Um, You know, obviously he failed to stay healthy. That's really what helped jumpstart David Johnson last year with with, uh, Andre Ellington going down with some injuries, just not playing consistently. They brought on Chris Johnson. Then he got hurt, and then that's where David Johnson came in. Obviously he was a great talent, third-round pick, I believe, out of Northern Iowa. Um, And and he did really well. I think they're they're really well-equipped, the Cardinals are, for their offense in 2016. They made some improvements to their offensive line um they brought back some key players they made their defense a little bit better as well i think they're a serious contender and i think that it's gonna be a high powered offense they have some really good wide receivers i think carson palmer's still doing pretty well so if you even say 200 let's say 270 touches i'm not at all concerned about it. i think it's a workhorse type number um so i'm not too concerned about it um but yeah i think the biggest things are going to be one i don't think we can rely necessarily on that number that'd be great if we knew that for sure but it's a nice number. Uh, the, the, the two things are going to be how much are Andre Ellington and Chris Johnson going to be involved. Uh, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing. I think they're going to give David Johnson as much as he can handle, but they're going to still rely on their veterans when needed. So uh, I, I'm still going to draft him around where he's being picked if I had the choice. Um, but, yeah, no, that, even 60% of what they did last year is still a solid number.
1: Yeah, and uh, for both you guys, I'll go back to Rome again to give him the first call on it. Uh, just with where he's been drafted, uh, is he somebody that you're happy to take, you know, in those top 12 to 16 picks? Uh, Johnson, no. Yeah. No,
0: I mean, I, 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 mean, I guess to- towards the latter end of that, sure. Uh, but I just, I, you know, I'm just not really drafting running backs all that high uh, this year. I mean, I'm letting other people take them because I'm finding myself getting too, uh, especially if I'm picking late in the first round, maybe at the turn. Uh, Or even picking like 12th and and the the 201 pick. I'm getting some really good wide receivers at that pick, and some some wide receivers I feel like you know like last year that helped me win a lot of leagues. Like last year, I had a lot of DeAndre Hopkins and Julio Jones being able to pick them sort of almost (laughs) back to back,
1: really. Yeah,
0: and and they were just because of where they were being lined up. Now that changes this year a little bit, but people are starting to shift back to to running back again, so it's freeing up some guys that I feel like are maybe undervalue like mike evans who i like a lot this year i feel like this is a breakout year for him so i'm able to still get a guy like hopkins and and mike evans late and rather passing on on the uh, running back and and maybe you know even though we say it's a workhorse role and we all kind of agree it's a lot of touches i'd still rather have a wide receiver who's going to see the football that many times you know 120 plus targets easily uh, that's that's kind of really what I'm looking at. I'm looking at somebody that's gonna to you know be a, a wide receiver one over maybe a running back whose role could change because generally wide receiver ones don't change their role much yeah. unless they, unless they get hurt. Running backs running backs can so you yeah, know.
1: yeah. I definitely I definitely agree with you. I'm very by who, whoever
0: was him. screaming in the background disagrees. By the way,
2: I think that was Doug. <laughs> yeah that that's that's me no it's my my uh, unfortunately it's my uh, my brother but I just want to point out something I did a little bit of research about a month ago potentially um, and well not potentially I did it but uh, regardless so I, I looked at some data from last year's mock drafts now I don't know how reliable this information is but I did it through Fantasy football calculator I, I use them sometimes for mock drafts so there were 12 I want to say there was actually 10 running backs taken any time in any mock drafts PPR standard, or no, it was standard, I'm sorry, that were taken in the first round. Um, Only one of them actually returned first-round value, uh, and that was Adrian Peterson. The rest, like Le'Veon Bell, Eddie Lacy, Jamal Charles, Lynch, Anderson Hill, didn't return that. Injury or or reduced roles or or, or just disappointment, but wide receivers, out of 11 of them, six of them returned first-round value. That would be Antonio Brown, Julio Jones, Brandon Marshall, Odell Beckham, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and A.J. Green. So, for me, what, Ro- what Rummy said, definitely agree with. I'd rather take a wide receiver one uh, if I can than a running back, unless I'm going to be reaching for a wide receiver because they're just more reliable. They're more reliable. The rules don't usually decrease, like he said, unless there's an injury or someone else jumps on the, you know, jumps on the screen or, or whatever the case may be. So if I had my choice, I'm not going to go after a running back in the first round anyway. So I'd rather let someone else do it, unless I'm getting him in the, in the early second, maybe, but. Um, I'd rather take a wide receiver anyway, regardless.
1: I I I definitely agree with both of you. There's obviously a lot less variance at the the wide receiver position compared to what happens at running back. And uh, I think he's uh, somebody that's just going too high for my liking that I won't be uh, getting anything off uh, this year, just because of uh, where I believe he will be drafted. Uh, next up, uh, or actually, just before we get on to next up, you mentioned a couple of times so far, and I've seen it on your Twitter feed quite a number of times. Rummy, uh, Mike Evans is somebody you're very, very high on this season. Just uh, some of the reasons uh, behind what you like uh, for Mike Evans heading into to this year for him.
0: A couple of things. Number one, I I really thought he was a really good wide receiver coming out of out of Texas A and yeah. thought you know he's a he's a big, strong kid, very, very young too. You know, you have to keep in mind he's somebody that. Was uh, you know a lot like you know like a Josh Gordon, very very young, very very raw, uh, but super talented, super athletic, and he's still developing. And again, you know he has a year under his belt. Jameis Winston uh, has a year under his belt. It's 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 you know they have time to sort of mesh together. They spent the off season together. I know that's a lot of narrative street talk, but it, it, it really does matter when they when quarterbacks and you know wide receivers spend time in the offseason working on that chemistry and that timing and I think he does and I think people are undervaluing him a column I I looked at today I mentioned that I on my Twitter feed that he's going around in MFL 10 specifically uh to like two eight to 210 yeah should not know, and you know late late second round and I think that's that's a really extreme value and that's why I'm able to still get a guy like I talked about getting Hopkins and Mike Evans you know and those picks, because even though you're picking in the middle of the first round, because on he's the turn up. they're yep. still there. Yep. And again, I, I just feel like his ceiling is really high. I think he's going to have a lion's share of the targets. I'm not really worried about anybody else in that offense. Uh, Sims, you know, is going to have his role as a pass catching back. Doug is going to do his early down stuff. And that's what they're going to be really looking at. And and guess we talked about Austin Safran Jenkins. He's kind of in the doghouse, so he's not going to really take away that many targets. To so, I me, mean, the Mike Evans show. Um, they lose, by the way. You know, that situation, that that division loses one of its best cornerbacks. You know, he mm-hmm. went to the George Redskins. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, it, it, that just makes things a lot better, too, for Mike Evans. So, I, I, I love the upside for him. I think he's undervalued. And that's kind of who you have to target in drafts the guy that you think people are sort of on the fence about, but you just love that value. Again, there's a possibility that it doesn't, doesn't pan out, but. If I can get him and somebody else like like a Hopkins or a Julio Early, I'm I'm
1: happy, really happy. Yeah, I think uh, most of us would be happy with that, and I can see, you know, the similarities uh, when Keenan Allen came out, he had a great rookie year. Evans had a great rookie year. The second year then was still pretty good, but it wasn't as good. And then last year we've seen how Keenan Allen took off at the start of the season. I think we could see something similar with Evans. You mentioned as well the connection between him and uh, Winston getting that year under their belt. Winston might take a, he should take a step forward in year two, and he should some positive signs last year so it's gonna be interesting to see and as you mentioned if you're getting him late second round you're definitely i think getting a, getting a steal at that point and uh, moving on to the next topic and it's uh matt jones of the washington redskins you mentioned them getting josh norman from the the uh, carolina panthers but there's a lot of love going around for him i think it's probably more the situation than the player he's a player that i'm not a fan of overall and what he showed last year but he looks like he's gonna be the lead back there this season in washington uh i'll let um Doug, go first on this one here. Matt Jones, uh, are you feeling the love?
2: Why so much love for uh, Matt Jones? No, I'm not loving him one bit. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why people are loving him. And I'll just go over it real quickly. Um, so, looking at his uh, yards per carry last season, he finished with a 3.4 yards per carry. I don't know how you can get too excited about a guy like that. Um, he also dealt with fumbling. I'm trying to pull up his number right now. I think it was five fumbles and like 100 150. Um, 150 touches last year i'm not sure why there's love other than for his situation but you know it's it's just hard to fathom where he's being valued as a running back too it was the same thing with monty ball the same thing with bishop sankey there was a lot of crazy love for these guys as soon as they had a potential role in their offense as a lead back and they floundered even cj anderson last year who i fell victim to so it, it's just it's mind-boggling to me how much, and I'm not saying he can't be good, but the the this crazy as I'll, I'll steal from Rummy narrative streak because he's the starting running back now, and there's really nobody else besides Chris Thompson. Um, it, it's just ridiculous how much love he's getting. He actually had five fumbles last year in uh, a little over 160. Heck, yeah, yeah. So it was under um, it was it was a little over 160 touches last year. He had five fumbles. That's not good. Even Bill Belichick wouldn't be happy. He would have benched him a long time ago. He would yeah. have benched him like first fumble. So I'm not sure why people can love it. I think it's a situation more than anything. But they also got a guy, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, in the seventh Keith- round. Keith Marshall. Keith Marshall, who I think did pretty well at Georgia before he had a a bad knee injury. So I wouldn't be surprised at him. I'm not pushing him. I'm not saying he's going to be the future lead back or anything like that. But let's not go crazy on Matt Jones when we've seen in the past where people get, you know, the sort of um, de facto lead back roles because someone else left and then try to, you know, push it and say, oh, this guy's going to be really good when he doesn't have the stats to prove it.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, Doug's definitely in the not-love campaign, and I'm in the, the same campaign. What about you, Romy? Yeah, I'm I'm kind of all in
0: the same boat with you guys. Uh, You know, and actually I do like Marshall late in dynasty rookie drafts. I think he's a guy that there's always somebody every year that sort of bumps what the presumed starter might be in an offense. There's always a guy that comes along and can push somebody out of the way. Sometimes it can become a glut. There can be several running backs who all take a slice of the pie and it can get really muddy, but you usually find that out right away early on in the season. But somebody like Marshall could certainly challenge, and that's somebody that I kind of been talking about a little bit. That certainly has an opportunity, only because, again, as you guys indicated, I don't I don't understand the Matt Jones love. He had under four yards to carry. He had a pretty good offensive line in front of him. When you think about it, those guys are one of the top top ten offensive lines in the NFL. Um, certainly should have been able to create more yards, and he didn't really do much with his opportunity. So, being the de facto running back. In a lot of these situations like Jeremy Langford, you know, there's a lot of guys like this. Being the de facto starter is probably, you know, a house built on sticks. It's like really <laughs> it's a fragile foundation. So I don't I don't really believe I don't buy it. I think people will buy that early, especially if you're again MFL tens early in the season, people are buying up those guys who are the de facto starters. But I think that's kind of a wasted pick because you really don't know. I'm almost more inclined to say who's behind them in the pecking order that you can get for free yep. at the end of a draft because there's a as good a chance for them to have a role as you paying as Doug pointed out he's he's going way way too high in what fourth fifth round I don't want to touch somebody like that because it doesn't make any sense he's done nothing he's proven nothing so he just only thing that's been proven is that he's on the depth chart if you go to our lads <laughs> you see Matt Jones I mean big big deal so
1: yeah, yeah, he's he's sitting there at the top of that depth chart. Uh, there's a couple of teams you mentioned there. The Bears, kind of similar situation there. Also Indianapolis. I know Frank Gore's been, you know, the the man that. The, don't the, don't, kind of don't try to
0: kill off Frank Gore. Don't don't uh, try to kill off well, Frank Gore. Not I, yet. I, not not he, yet. Not yet. What he's done
1: in his career has been uh, exceptional. But you know there is a shaky foundation there. You mentioned uh, and. I just the reason I'm pulling all them in together is because we have a man here that I just wanted to bring up quickly, and it's Arian Foster. Obviously, still not back healthy, but there's been a number of teams linked with him over the past yeah. couple of days. Uh, any of those teams that you think like he could do a job there that you might be interested in, or you know, Foster's one of those guys that you're here's not the thing get about games. here's the thing about Foster,
0: and I'm I'm with you. I get that you know he's a guy that can come in in a role and, and certainly challenge somebody, but he's still not healthy yet. You know, he's working out he's he's in workout shape he's not in football shape yet and so we don't know how he's going to be getting into like July August if he's going to be even ready so he might be one of those veteran guys who teams call up when somebody gets hurt late in training camp or in the preseason and then they they add him to the team so it's kind of like again you're it's a leap of faith to add him in in your leagues because you feel like Somebody's gonna get hurt and he's gonna have an opportunity and he's gonna be able to produce for them. Uh, but I don't necessarily know where he fits right now because he already he's had he's had some sort of some courting from a few teams and nobody's really pounced yet because they don't feel he's ready yet or healthy yet. So what are you waiting for? You're waiting for someone to get hurt. and I kind of don't like to play fantasy like that, just kind of ex- you know expecting an injury to happen. Um, if you get him, you can certainly dump him because if he doesn't catch on with a team, maybe he's he's in a Pierre Thomas type of situation where he catches on really late in the season and has a role, but maybe doesn't do much with it. There's a possibility with with Foster being that kind of a guy. I mean, he's at the sort of the tail end of his career because of injuries, and uh, you know he's he's had a lot of a lot of snaps under his belt, so maybe he doesn't produce like we think he will just because of his resume. Um, so I, I'm, I'm just not buying it. And, and listen, he, here's my little point on Frank Gore. I hate to, I hate to, d- to <laughs> double back on this one. Um, no problem. I, I think the Ryan Kelly, and I've talked this up a little bit, the Ryan Kelly addition, to me, for the, it's, it's the first time I've seen Ryan Grigson actually add an offensive lineman that made a ton of sense to that offensive line. He's done nothing prior to that. Yeah. And Kelly is a Nick Mangold-level impact center. He's going to go in there. He's going to essentially gel that interior offensive line, where consequently Andrew Luck had a ton of pressure from interior pressure from linebackers last year, and he gets hit a lot. So having somebody in there that can sort of gel that line a little bit and help really help Frank Gore, too, as an in-between-the-tackles runner anyway, to have him sort of uh, you know have some more lanes to run through, I think that's going to help him quite a bit. So I'm not killing off Frank Gore. He was not bad last year. The wheels might be slowly falling off eventually, but I think he's still undervalued. At least I've seen so far, I've been able to get him as like a third running back for the most part. I'm happy to have somebody who's really a starter with no true challenges behind him. There's a lot of nice names behind him, but nobody that I really think is going to push him right now anyway.
2: I'm just going to interject here real quick, and I'm going to douse a little bit of. I'm going to put some cold water on your your take just (laughs) personally. Um, So 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 real quick, just running through a a couple of stats. Um, He had 3.7 yards per carry last year. Yep. Um,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: The offensive line sucked, though, man. That, that's true. That's that very true. And he, also was out, <laughs> he was also without his quarterback. That's true. Yep. But this is yep. becoming a pass-first offense if Andrew Luck is healthy. And they don't have a defense to support them. So you're going right. to be playing a line a lot, uh, behind a lot. You're going to have to be forced to pass a lot. And the problem is, Frank Gore is 33 years old. All right, So he, he has, uh, I'm looking here, he has over 2,700 carries in his career. It's just curious to see how long it's going to take before something happens. And the problem is they didn't address their depth. Because he's going to be relied on so much, I think, as he was last year. He had 260 carries last year. He did have over 1,200 yards uh, all purpose. But it's just hard for me to trust him. If I can get him as a running back three, great. But I think it's going to be pushed up more by the time we start that regular season when we start doing real drafts or redraft, in, say, late July, early August. Because he's a guy who, again, they have an improved offensive line. Their quarterback is coming back. But this is a pass-first team. Our defense is going to be playing a line uh, behind a lot because of their defense. So they're gonna to have to ban the run game as much as they would in the past game. So I'm just right. not buying I'm not buying that he can he's still, you know, a running back two faithfully. Um I would let someone else take him. But as a running back three I would take him, but I'm not saying that he's gonna have another consistent year like he, he has in the past.
1: Okay. That's fair. Yeah, I think uh, bo- both years of you have made a very good points. Anyone that tuned in to want to hear about Frank Gore, I think we've made a very. I think there was two <laughs> very good sides. Very, there is two good arguments there. And uh, I would probably fall more into Romy's side because if you're talking about you mentioned you would take him uh. as a third, a third r b uh Rummy said that he would be looking at him as a third uh, r b and if you get him in that position, I think you're you're going to do well and of course Doug, you know when the guest is on, we have to agree with the guest so uh, uh, anyway. I, I, know, <laughs> I know i
2: know we have to we have to no, always just joking. Take but lives, i so. think
1: I think there's value there, but you mentioned a very good point, and I think it's something that we have to take into account when the ADP of when people start draft and come you know august that their sort of time and frank Gore is a name that people will recognize from his time in the league and you always see somebody that thinks frank Gore i oh yeah i want to take him way way too early so that adp eventually will get bumped up and uh, it'll be probably somewhere that's out of our reach um i had a couple other topics i think uh we've uh, probably run on long enough unless the guys want to do one more i'm i'm good if doug's good man let's do it so let's i'm hit, always, down. Let, let's always hit, down let's hit one out here this was on uh, the last two shows topics i think it's uh Derek Carr. I think Doug's a bit more high on them than I am. Uh, we were trying to decide, could he be a QB1 for 2016? So a top-12 quarterback for the season. Obviously, there's some nice pieces there. Mario Cooper going into his second season. Um, yep. Clive Walford, somebody who I'm very high on. Just for 2016 in general, we'll keep it, and maybe we'll go into it on Dynasty on another week. But uh, Derek Carr, I've seen people saying you know in different discussions about uh, quarterbacks going into that their third year, some of them going into the second year. So you're taking Mariota, Winston, Derek Carr, Blake Bortles, uh, all those guys into one big bucket and who would you pick out I've seen people saying they would take Derek Carr out of that group and um, I'm more in the, the Marcus Mariota camp but uh, I'll let Romy go first uh, Derek Carr could he be a, a top 12 quarterback in 2016 uh,
0: he certainly can I'll, I'll do this rapid fire because yep. we want to get
1: rolling with the rest of the topics um, he was
0: number nine last year in fantasy so I don't, I don't see any reason why he can't be a uh, top 12 going forward uh, I, I th- here's the thing about him the reality is is that is he going to be a top 10-12 efficiency quarterback in reality? Yeah, Probably not. True. Uh, he's, he's going to need a lot of targets, just like Blake Bortles will need a lot of targets, just like a lot of other quarterbacks who necessar- aren't necessarily razor-sharp as they're young, developing quarterbacks. They're going to need a lot of volume. So as long as the defense isn't great, which, unfortunately, the, the Raiders are starting to shape up on defense. As they get better, that yeah. may not be the case. With fewer repetitions for him then obviously, you know, the numbers may not be as inflated. They'll be sort of more modest numbers, like Joe Flacco-ish numbers. And there's a possibility that that happens. So for me, he certainly still could be. He definitely has the weapons in this offense. Uh, They definitely uh, have the right guys for him, for his arm, for the way he plays football, you know, and and, and Cooper and, and Crabtree. So I definitely love what they're doing. Uh, I'm just concerned that, like the volume may not be there down the line because I think as their defense improves, they become sort of a slow ball team that just sort of plays clock control and not as much volume. So, but but I will say this, if their running game doesn't improve <laughs> and and it, and it could and it could, yeah. but if it doesn't improve, then there's potential there that they'll still have to throw a lot. So in the short term, I still like them a lot. I think he could certainly be a top twelve. I just don't know down the line, if he'll be that guy, because maybe he becomes, and guys, this is not a comparison, he becomes more like an efficient sort of Aaron Rodgers type where he's not throwing as much, but he's getting more of it done down the line when he becomes more accurate quarterback.
2: Yeah, so I just want to throw out a couple stats. Now, it wasn't so much that I'm saying he's a surefire quarterback one. If we're being honest with it, it was actually just trying to argue with somebody who I'm going to remain nameless about. That uh, said, that Derek Carr will never become anything in this league, and in reality, he did pretty oh, really well nice. last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not like I said, I'm not going to name this person. Um, but uh, so I just want to point out something. He finished ninth last year in attempts, uh, passing attempts, thirteenth in yardage, and tied for seventh with passing touchdowns. That's numbers that are consistent with probably a top ten, top twelve quarterback in terms of just stats alone. I think Amari Cooper could take a big step in 2016. He sort of faltered off at the end of the season. I think. Uh, with, uh, he had some drop issues and stuff like that. I'm not sure how much Michael Travertree is going to remain in that offense. Can he keep it up? It'll be an interesting thing. I think Clive Warford's um, like, transition from rookie season to sophomore season is going to be big because if, if they provide him another weapon, uh, Derek Carr, that is, it's only going to help him. Romney put up a good point. Um, their defense is getting better. Are they going to have to rely on their passing game as much? I don't know. That That's a very good question. Um, but in terms of upside – um, you know who knows where Amari Cooper can go in 2016 if he takes that next step forward because he had that typical sophomore slump we've seen recently with a guy like Mike Evans. Only comparing him to his rookie season, not saying he had a slump because um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to hurt Rummy's feelings. I know he loves him. Um, yeah, yeah, he's gonna kill me later. Um, but uh, no, so I mean, I think he could be a low end quarterback. One, um, he has, I think. He doesn't have a plethora of weapons. It's more so the weapons he does have are reliable. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, but I think that the Raiders are still going to be an efficient offense. Like Rummy said, eventually he could be an efficient, not saying he's an Aaron Rodgers, but he could be an efficient quarterback. He had over 60%, uh, 61% completion percentage. Not bad for a guy in his second year. Um, but again, if I had to say something, at least for 2016, I would say he's a low end, maybe a 10 to 12 uh, quarterback range, so a low end quarterback one.
1: Yeah, and I think the point that Romy made as well, that in real life, you know, sometimes it's like Bartles last season, he had a great fantasy year, a lot of questions for me around what he did on the field, but I could see him having that same sort of season that Bartles had last year, but if the defence does improve, may not be playing for him behind as much as the Jaguars were, but uh, you mentioned Walford there, he's somebody who I had a lot of last season and I've bought more of this season in Dynasty in particular, and I think uh, he could be a huge uh, development tool for Derek Carr going forward at the tight end position Um, out of that there guys, anything else for either of you, I know I mentioned earlier draft day consultants, Rummy for you Uh, do you want to give Ed a plug on anything else you uh, have coming up now before uh, your podcast sabbatical
0: no 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 actually I, I i did want to get to the colts wide receivers question Okay, let's I go for it then.
1: i didn't want to hold you up but let's go for it please. no you're not
0: let's but let's definitely touch on that one yeah
1: Let, let's rank the uh the colts the wide receivers we have hilton Moncrief, and dorsett rank them in order of uh, what you would expect or what you want this season i'd imagine that the the questions more between hilton and Moncrief. i just True, and Dorsett, because I know there's a lot of people that are still madly in love with him. Uh, so out of those three, Helton, uh, Moncrief, and Dorsett rank them.
0: I'll, I'll let Doug take this one first, because I have some definitive answers. I just want to hear what he has to say first. <laughs> she can oh, jeez.
2: <laughs> oh, jeez.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: this, is, this is the time where I get fresher. me look like a fool. Yeah, I'm going to be looking like a fool here. So can I say Brian Timms is the number one guy? Or yeah. Josh Joyce? Sure. sure, sure. Um, so so I, I would say that I, I think... I think it's going to be—I don't think it's as large of a—I a don't think there's going to be as wide of a gap as people believe, especially in a pass-heavy offense where Luck has experience with both uh, T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief. I think there could be a, a more—in clo- terms of stat-wise, if they're both healthy, um, I think it could be closer stat-wise than people realize. Um, Dorsett, you know, Luck is is a very good quarterback, so definitely— you know, as a deep threat, he could he could put up some good stats. Um, I maybe would expect him more, especially after he he didn't get a lot of playing time in last year. After he, I think he broke his leg or broke something, uh, might have, oh his foot. Okay, um, so maybe I think maybe if anything, um, could we see him be like a Tyler Lockett kind of guy who will have some games who will do really well, but then just will falter some other games. But I would say if I had to rank them, just so I can get on with this, I would say T. Y. Hilton. Dante Moncrief, um, like a one A, one B, but uh and then I would say Philip Rossette and uh then Brian Timms. But that's just me. Some Brian Timms. <laughs> I love Brian Timms. I like I how love, you add
0: him in there. <laughs> I love Brian Timms. Brian Timms. You added Brian Timms on that like when like like three guys that get into a nightclub and like Brian Timm's trying to sneak in behind him, like Whoa, whoa, Brian Timms. <laughs> Get back yeah, in the no, line, Brian. He,
2: he led the preseason in 2014. I know. Yards. I, I, can't, I can't get away from that. I, I,
0: can't. I like him for DFS, though, Doug. I like him for DFS, for preseason DFS, man. Because, you oh, know, yeah. like, he's a guy that's going to be out there in, in the, the fourth preseason, quarter. like, yeah. yeah, yeah, catching some touchdown pass, making some money for you, yeah. But, yeah, he probably, like, during the regular season won't be – he might even be cut at that point. but Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, listen, I, I'm going to go traditional here because – I like Ty Hilton, but let's let's be honest about Ty Hilton. What he is to that offense, he's really kind of the Sean Jackson light in that offense. Yeah. He doesn't. He's never caught really over eighty-five catches. Never over seven touchdowns in a season. You know, he's a big, big play receiver, but he's not a guy that you know is going to win when you press. You know, they always play a little soft zone on him because they're worried about his speed. So when he has a little hitch. In his step, a little, you know, if he's a little dinged up, then he's a lot easier to sort of neutralize. We've seen teams being able to neutralize him when he's not at top speed. So I worry about guys like that. Now, Moncrief's dinged up already, so he's kind of already taking himself a little bit out of that equation. But from a traditional sense, he's the real legit alpha X type receiver. He's the guy that could be the one that develops into the guy for. You know Andrew Luck, and becomes his number one. So I think his ceiling is much higher. I think we know what T.Y. Hilton is. Again, I, I think he's Deshaun Jackson. Nothing wrong with that, but that's a complimentary receiver in my opinion and a guy that, you know, in terms of fantasy, a guy that you want as your number two or three wide receiver. Not the guy that you necessarily are looking to to become the next Julio Jones. I don't know that he ever will. I think that Moncrief could if he stays healthy. I think he has a, that ceiling, but... Um, but yeah, that's that's how I would rank them now. And, and Dorsett, I mean, again, as Doug pointed out, I think he's maybe potentially has that Lockett uh, kind of value, although he's not as electric a returner as Lockett, of course. So his his value is going to have to come in three wide receiver packages, you know, and hopefully drawing a, a lesser cornerback. I think.
2: So so I just want to point out one more quick thing. Again, um, so I looked up the stats from last year. I think Hilton actually missed some time. If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so so Dorsett and Hilton, Hilton only had five more receptions than Dors- than um, than Moncrief did last year, but Moncrief also had one more touchdown. But here's the big kicker: Hilton almost had 400 more reception yards than uh, Moncrief. So I think I think that if we look at it. I think if we have to give the generic terms, Hilton's more of a deep threat, maybe over the middle, you know, intermediate to deep threat. But I think Moncrief is more of that, you know, a possession receiver where he can play in the intermediate as well, but he's not going to be relied on as much of a deep threat. He had 11.5 yards, uh, yards per reception last year so i'm not so sure he's a deep threat like hilton is but i think in the intermediate to short game as a possession receiver i don't mind it uh but yeah i think again like i said earlier i don't think it's in terms of fantasy. and when we see at the end of the year fantasy point wise i wouldn't be surprised if, if moncrief and hilton are closer than people realize yeah, yeah it,
0: i mean that's probably true i mean but also because of the fact that you know moncrief's already got some injuries that that could potentially nag for the season and of course Selton is, is good for for getting a little dinged up so it's it's possible that they're both very close in in terms of overall points and you're hit the nail on the head and I think it changes too because now that we don't have Fleener in the mix we will see a lot more of, of Allen in the red zone again it could it could sort of muddy the waters a little bit so it'll be certainly be interesting I think.
1: Yeah, I think a very good point on the uh, you know comparing him to Deshaun Jackson. I think it's probably a similar situation if you look at the Cardinals as well with uh, John Brown and then you have uh, Michael Floyd. I think there's a similar dynamic there, but we'll not get into them on the show. I think as well, Doug mentioned you know more of a possession receiver. I think, though, when you get into the red zone, that there stands for a lot. I think in the red zone they'll look more to Moncrief than they will look to Hilton. I think... Uh, you know, Maybe the hype on Moncrief is starting to creep up a little bit too high. He's a player who I really liked uh, at the end of last season, but I think it might be just getting pushed up a little bit too high. And I think Hilton might be getting pushed down a little bit low. So I think value-wise, I think they're probably about the same at the minute. And at the end of this season, it's going to be very interesting to see where the chips fall. If I was ranking them at the minute, I think uh, I'd probably just if I was going for this season and I like to go for the player probably with the more guaranteed weekly touchdown kind of side I think Moncrief's more likely to get you those at least 10 points per week whereas Hilton will have weeks where he'll get you probably 25 points weeks where he gets you 5 points so I like to try and get the the balance there but uh, it was an interesting topic to cover as well so thanks to johnny for uh, making sure that we covered it and didn't pull out uh, and not it. but uh, we'll get back we'll try the plugs part of the show once more uh, obviously i mentioned draftdayconsultants.com uh, how do people if they want to get uh, you involved in their draft can they go to draft day consultants and particularly request you or is it something that's just whoever's uh, available at that time
0: yeah, yeah they, they can certainly request me i mean I, obviously like i'm lining up uh consultant dates right now for people uh, pre-draft stuff you know pre uh even even people that want to learn about mfl 10s i mean I, if they, they're not really sure and they don't want to just go in blindly yeah. and, and play and really want some strategy help on that you know i'm letting people know stuff that i only you know only know myself i'm not telling anybody else on twitter or whatever stuff that i use myself personally uh stuff that could certainly hopefully help them win some money and uh same thing with dynasty the way i look at dynasty leagues the values i put on rookie you know picks and so forth and so on all that stuff that i've done since i started playing you know way back when uh fred flintstone was starting his car with his feet you know <laughs> so uh yeah so i, I mean you know I, I love doing it. it's a lot of fun and and you know really that's that's the whole point of it you get to kind of be with me and then uh, hopefully help yourself a little bit with your uh upcoming draft
1: yeah, it's very interesting too because there's so many different types of fantasy football being played now. And in particular, over the last uh, two weeks, I've done an MFL uh, draft. I've done with the Scott Fish. Um, him, he's doing the MFLs with that. I've done a, a uh, super flex league for the OTI Dynasty League that we set up, and a couple other just you know standard. Uh, dynasty drafts as well so when you're doing them there is so much different to, to take into account when you're drafting and if you don't know your point system you don't know what the league actually entails whether it's best ball or dynasty long term uh, you can really lose it all at the draft so uh, it's a great help for anyone out there who isn't 100 percent sure on their strategy so that is draftdayconsultants.com uh, rummy is on twitter it's at rumford johnny always very interactive with anyone on there if you have any questions as well so get following him on there if you're not following him already i don't know what you've been doing on twitter and uh, doug's obviously at the more nfl is
2: there anything doug that you want to give a plug to before we wrap this up um do i have a plug that's a good question um <laughs> i have an article coming out i'm not sure when it is off the top of my head uh in regards to some guys i think will bounce back in uh 2016 after having some injuries or anything like that in uh in 2015, are just disappointing seasons. Um, I guess I'll give you a small sampler. Um, won't go in too much into it because you have to tune in for something like that. Um, but I will say that there is uh, a couple guys that um, have been talked about. All I'll say is I'm extremely high on Philip Rivers and Ladarius Green coming into this year. Um, so th- those are two names that uh, definitely will be on that list. That's all you're getting from me. But uh, I love Ladarius Green and Philip Rivers. You have to tune in probably Thursday or Friday when it comes published. Uh, to check that out, there's nine players on there, and, and um, I, I think you'll be really, really disappointed in how much I, uh, you know, just how I wrote. Uh, no, only kidding, but um, <laughs> but um, no, no. So I just to summarize it, I, the whole article is actually about Philip Rivers and Ladarius Green, and uh, how much I love them, even though they're not in the same team anymore. So, um, but that's that's probably the one thing I have to plug, um, and um, I'll go back to my corner now. Okay, so
1: obviously, if you want to find out when this article comes out, if it comes out, if we ever hear of it, it's at Dougmore or at Demore NFL rather. Of course, I'm uh, on Twitter at the Column Kelly, but you're better off following Overtime Ireland because I do not really use my personal account ever. So, until uh, the next show, thanks a lot to the two guys for jumping aboard, and until then, of course, have a good one.
0: Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.